0: To, to hear from you, to hear you speak. And so, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us. Lord, you have spoken to us. You have revealed yourself to us through your word. And, Lord, you have given sent your spirit to enable us to hear and understand it. Lord, otherwise our, our minds would be darkened to the truth. Our ears would be closed. Our eyes would be closed. Our hearts would be stone cold and hard. But, Lord, you are the Lord of life. And we thank you Lord that your spirit has gone out and brings life and that and that through uh, these words that we're looking at this morning we might be able to know you we might be able to follow you we might be able to actively live as your people a sanctified people and we pray Lord this morning that you would uh, you would spur us on to love and good works that you would help us to put away the lies and the deception that we may have been hearing and that we might be able to we we might be all the more equipped for the tasks that you have ahead of us. Please, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. June has been labelled by some as International Pride Month. This is a a month-long celebration of all things LBGTQIA+. But it's another way that we are seeing the continued push of soul-crushing, life-destroying ideology. It's paraded on our screens, it's celebrated in our schools, it's encoded in company policies. And Christians are rightly disgusted by the open defiance towards God. Yet it is only one issue amongst a myriad of other worrying trends that are either outright opposed to our faith or trends that we suspect don't have our best interests at heart. Name just about any hot-button topic at the moment and there are red flags for Christians plastered all over it. We feel pressured, We feel outmaneuvered. We feel like the underdog. And so our instinct is to mount our defense, to circle the wagons, to drop the portcullis. And then we stand on the walls and we we survey the horizon looking for the next worrying sign. We're on hyper alert for what's out there. Because after all, we've missed the signs before. So many churches and denominations and schools and institutions have fallen to Satan's wiles, once safe places are now just like the world. And and so we peer outward, guessing at what bad intentions lie in every shadow or under every rock. And yes, it is good to defend truth. It is good, like we sung before, for the church to arise and put their armor on to resist temptations of the latest popular perversion. Yet with our constant peering out at the circus going on around us, I fear that we may be neglecting our own garden. It's easy to point out the flagrant sin of others and much harder to tackle the issues of our own heart. To complain at the state of our neighbor's garden while the weeds come up in our own. How quick we are to discuss the latest outrage, to opine the lost culture of generations past, and how slow we are to encourage one another in Christ and pursue heavenly matters. And brothers and sisters, I'm the worst for this. I have set a bad example among you, so do not think this word is for others and not just as much for myself. You know, it's easy to take cover from the internal challenges that we face by bemoaning external evil. It's easier to deflect attention away from my own inadequacy and shame to the obvious inadequacy of others. It's easier to rally people to conflict with enemies of the gospel and much harder to face the conflict that comes with sorting out sin in our own ranks. So, yes, we defend the faith. Yes, we look for the signs of the times. Yes, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. But we do it without neglecting the health of our own hearts. Today, brothers and sisters, we're doing a little bit of self-care. Not the guff of self-help books or so-called experts. The kind that God calls his people to. We're going to pull some weeds that are growing up in God's house by taking a short break from our trek through John's Gospel and having a look at these two verses from Peter's first letter. Now, after some of the mammoth portions that we have covered in previous weeks in John, I'm sure you will find it refreshing to just camp out in two verses. In this text, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, So that at the proper time, he may exalt you or lift you up, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Each of these two verses has kind of two halves. And so that gives us our four main headings that we are looking at this morning. Now, as I started talking about, talked about pride in in the opening. We bemoan the pride of the world. But these two verses give us an antidote to pride in our own midst. We must deal with pride here before we can face it out there. With this straightforward truth, we can be equipped to do some home maintenance in God's church and quell the trouble that threatens to undo us. The first part of the verse opens with, Humble yourselves, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. If you have been a Christian for any length of time, I hope that this is not something new to you. This should be obvious to you. Yet it cannot be too obvious because Peter feels the need to remind these Christians of it. Peter wrote this letter to a people who were under great strain. They were in much worse a condition than we are. They were being openly persecuted for their faith. They were facing great trials. They were being tested. They were suffering. Yet Peter thinks that one of the important things that these suffering pressed down Christians need to hear is humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. Brothers and sisters, this is what we need to hear too. We may not be in their shoes specifically, but this is a timeless truth for God's people. Humble yourselves. We need to be humble. We need to be brought low under God. We are not God's equals. Many of us have lost the respectful fear of God, growing flippant towards the Lord, our Lord who is a consuming fire. We treat him as if he were our servant to fetch us what we want and then leave us alone when we've got it. Perhaps that's not you. Perhaps you treat God with a little bit more love and admiration than that. Perhaps, though, you still think that God owes you something, that he ought to do things a certain way, the way that you think he should do them. Perhaps, like Jonah, you dare to rebel against God and say, I knew you were going to be like this, and so that's why I didn't want to do what you told me to. Our God is the great holy God, the one who could and should crush us under his wrath as it is revealed against sin, but instead he brings life in Jesus Christ. He gives us grace. He gives us favor. But the way to that favor is through humility. Humble yourselves. We have no right to stand before God. We are not worthy of his attention or favor, Yet he provides this way through Jesus Christ. The way in is through faith in Jesus. And what does this faith look like? It is a humble faith. Humility carries with it this idea of being lowered, of going down. It looks like giving up your own plans and notions and intentions and accepting God's plans, His intentions, In their place. It looks like acknowledging your mistakes and failures for what they are sin and saying, I reject my sins and turn away from them and towards Jesus Christ. Faith looks like recognizing that you cannot deal with the weight of shame and guilt that you are carrying around on your back and that you need Jesus to step in and do it for you. So you were, you are as it were, to kneel at the feet of Christ, to confess your inability, confess your sinfulness, confess that he is the only one who can save you. Humble yourselves before God. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. It is not as though this call to humility has passed away. It's not like this has finished. This is an ongoing practice of putting away sin it's not just something you do when you come to faith and then you kind of leave humility behind but we walk in humility under christ we keep continually putting away our pretensions for self-rule putting away our own ideas of godliness putting away the desires of the flesh and submitting to god's rule to god's order to god's way If you go looking for this terminology of the mighty hand of God, you'll soon see that it is most regularly tied to the idea of salvation and judgment, where these two things meet. In particular, you will see it in reference to God's rescue of Israel from Egypt. What do we see there? We see salvation and judgment tied together. For the Israelites, they were under the yoke of the Egyptians, they were in slavery. They were being forced to be humble. But when they humbled themselves under their God, he brought them salvation. When they went and put the blood on their doorposts, they were saved. They were rescued. But on the flip side, there was the judgment that God revealed against those who opposed him. The proud, in this particular instance, Pharaoh, who set himself up against God. And God brought him low. God dethroned him. God's mighty hand is a comfort to us because it is his hand that brings salvation and his hand that defends us against those who oppose God. There is a refrain that comes several times throughout the Scriptures. It says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It is a secure and comforting place to be under God's mighty hand. There is no reason to be afraid of the opposition. And for for, for Peter's first readers of this letter, it calls to mind God's mighty hand where he has delivered his people in the past as they come under God. They can find security in humble obedience. But interestingly, this is not where God leaves his people. He doesn't just say, humble yourselves and then treat us like, uh, treat us poorly, treat us like dirt. But no, this, he loves his people. He exalts his people. He lifts them up. God does not leave us in a perpetually lowly state. He will exalt the humble. God will exalt you. Back to the verse again. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that... At the proper time, he may exalt you. This is not the way of the world. The world says to go out and take what you want, earn it, climb the ranks, steal it even, win it. Just go get what you want to get ahead. Put yourself first and seek your own interests, even if it comes at the detriment of your friends or even your spouse. The world says to idolize yourself, Pursue what you want so that you can get what you, you need. You can be happy. But this is deception. This is a fleeting joy. It's not true exaltation. At the end of the day, you're left empty and probably alone because of the bridges you burned to get there. Instead, for lasting joy and true honor, a true exaltation, the true lifting up, we need to follow God's way. And an old Puritan prayer puts this very well. It's called the Valley of Vision. Let me read you an excerpt. Let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up, that to be low is to be high, that the broken heart is the healed heart, that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit, that the repenting soul is the victorious soul, that to have nothing is to possess all, that to bear the cross is to wear the crown, that to give is to receive, that the valley is the place of vision. And this, of course, is the path that our Saviour took, the one who is exalted, the one who sat with the Father in glory before the world existed, Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, to be held on to, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, humans. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Humble yourselves like Christ was humbled and then like he was exalted, we will be exalted in our own way. we are not christ himself but we follow in his train we follow in his footsteps we receive the benefits of what he has done what he has won some will say oh, i'll work the system i want to get lifted up i want to get glory i want to be exalted so i'm going to i'm going to humble myself so i can get what i want but it can't work like that we have to give up self Self-promotion and selfish desire to truly be humble. Those who are humble are willing to be humble and remain there, content in their estate under God without honor. The prideful will not stand. They cannot go down in order to go up. The pretenders and prideful who set themselves up will be brought low. Jesus taught everyone who exalts himself will be humbled And he who humbles himself will be exalted. God will exalt his humble people. But what did it say in this verse in Peter? It said, at the proper time. For now, the humble will remain looking like the fools. They will be downtrodden. They will be the outcasts of the world. We will remain humble for a time, but the day is soon Coming, when all eyes will see Christ return and he will lift up his people, he will vindicate them. We will be lifted up to reign with Christ. Yet there is a special way that this area of humility works out in the life of the believer, and that is in the area of anxiety or worries. God says, Cast your anxieties on God. Cast your anxieties on God. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Friends, we look around and we see that anxiety is rapidly spreading. It's like a pandemic going from house to house, and the church is not immune. There are many who call on Christ who have become crippled by anxiety. And yet, in some sense, this feels strange because God speaks very specifically on anxiety and what to do about it. Now, I'm not here to lash the anxious with guilt, but we need to consider things plainly. We need to to speak truthfully and clearly, to be open and upfront about this issue for the sake of your hearts, because God loves you, you need to hear this truth. Too many of us have become deceived by the world on this front. We view our anxieties not through the lens that God has given us to view them, but often we will default into a worldly lens. We use our mental health language. We go to worldly counselors and doctors to address our anxiety and do not consider seriously what God has called us to, the antidote that He has given us. And what he specifically says on this matter. Instead, we accept platitudes and prescriptions rather than going to the physician of our souls. But what happens when we turn to him? What does the Lord say? I counted at least six times that he specifically says, Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. And there are a couple things that we can learn from this simple command. Firstly, that we are not passive in our anxieties. Yes, we can feel like they rise up against us and that we are attacked by them, but God does not expect us to be passive and just sit under it and to feel the weight of it. God expects us to act to not be anxious, to do something about it. And secondly, anxiety is a sin. If you have something that God tells you not to do, specifically six times, then I think it is pretty clear that continuing in it is disobeying the Lord. What we're talking about here is not the kind of the good anxieties, such as being eager for the Lord's return, which is one way that the word anxiety is used in the scriptures. But this is a concern that, uh, sorry, we could also talk about anxieties or, you know, concerns that come upon us that drive us to action, such as uh, uh, worrying about somebody and going to prayer or being concerned for something and then acting out of love to, to help them. This is the anxieties that wear on us, that weigh us down. We're talking anxieties over life, of food and houses, about money, about the future, worrying about these things. Some of them that you might have some control over, but a lot of them which you don't. You don't know the future. You are a temporal being who is trapped in the now. And God made you that way because he wants you to be that way. This looks like fear and worry and uncertainty and concern. It can be an intermittent thing that just comes upon you sometimes. But it can also be anxiety that leads to an endless loop of fear that cripples your faith and your hope. You see, anxiety is a sin because it is a refusal to trust God. It is though we we hold on to that which God has control over... And we obsess over it as if we somehow could do better than him. As if we could do better than the Lord of all, our creator and sustainer. Anxiety is a form of pride. It is the opposite of humility. And that's why this verse is right here in Peter, next to the verse that says, humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. How? by casting all your anxieties on him holding on to our anxieties is pride if you would humble yourselves cast off your anxieties give them over to god as the cliché says let go and let god as you hold on to them you're being prideful not humble let's take a moment to explore some avenues where anxiety arises You can have anxiety from unconfessed sin. You are weighed down by the guilt and shame of what you have done, but holding on to it will not do you any good. Deal with it. Come before the Lord, confess your sin, and find freedom. Cleansing. You may have anxiety for the future, And we, more than any other people in history, have unfettered access to information about what's going on in the world. Natural disasters, tragedies are spreading across the world. The news of it comes at an alarming rate. And especially for our young people who have not learned to deal with these things yet. They get hammered by all of this news, all of this information. They're bombarded with the problems of the world, the failures of governments to deal with the problems that we face. We can have anxieties over the world that seems to be spinning out of control and it provokes worry for the future. Yet our God is the God of, of all. Our God is the sovereign Lord over history. Our God is the one who cares for his people. Worrying about it is not going to make it more or less greater The future is in the Lord's hands. We trust him with it. Perhaps you have anxiety from your past. You have made mistakes and they haunt you. You wish that you could go back and change things, to do things differently, but you messed up. And it might have brought you great shame and regret. But I ask you, can you change the past by worrying about it? There is one who can and does turn the greatest evils for good, who is working all things for good. Turn to him and lay those problems before him and let him deal with them. Carrying them around will not help you honour God. Perhaps you have anxieties for others. You have a great love and care for others, perhaps family members or friends. You want the best for them, but you cannot control their heart or their actions. You do your best to influence them for good. But you've been rebuffed. So what do you do? You love them. You seek the Lord. And you don't hold on to a responsibility that's not yours. The responsibility for their soul lies in God's hand. So don't take it up as your own responsibility. Perhaps you have anxiety for yourself. It can be the simplest things. How are we going to afford food? What if I lose my job? What if I can't afford their next repayment? What does God have in store for our future? Will I thrive or will I Will I fall? Jesus reminds us that you can't even turn one hair of your head white or black you have no control over that in the sense of like growing out of your skull obviously we've got um, the ability to dye our hair but what we're talking about is your body this bodily function that grows hair in a certain color you can't change which color comes out of your head how are you going to change the course of history when you cannot do one simple thing like that why will you worry over these things that are so far beyond your control God has it. God has it in control. This is the God who cares for even the birds of the air, who provides their food. How much more is God going to provide the needs of the people who are made in his image? These anxieties can come at us from many different angles, and I'm sure that there are some that I haven't covered, but you may know them. It is worth looking at our anxieties and seeing where they're coming from. What is the source of them? But my friends, it's not easy to put off these anxieties. It's not easy. Nobody said it was going to be easy. I have this fantastic little quote from Spurgeon. He says, It's no child's play to cast all our cares on our Lord when there are six little children, shoes worn out, cupboard empty, purse bare, here is a work worthy of faith. You will have to lift with all your soul before the burden can be shifted and the anxiety cast upon the Lord. That effort, however, will not be half so exhausting as the effort of carrying the load yourself. We forget that although it is great and hard to deal with our anxieties, it is much worse to sit under the load of them and to carry them around. But it's interesting that that, Paul, that uh, Peter used those words, the cast. We have to throw, we have to heave our anxieties off us. We have to throw it away, to get, give it over to God. It is not something easy to deal with. And what does he say? He says, casting all your anxieties, all your anxieties, not some, not the ones that bother you the most, all your worries, all your cares, cast them on the Lord. He can take it, he can carry it, he's got the strength, you don't need to worry, and he's got your best interests at heart. But one of the ways that we cast our anxieties on the Lord is through what we're called to in Philippians. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but what? In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. This is one of the ways, one of the, the primary ways that we, that we cast our anxieties on Him, by going to Him in prayer. Do you feel your, do you feel your heart winding up? Do you feel yourself getting tense under the anxieties that is the moment that should send you to prayer, to send you to the Lord, to come to Him, to humble yourself before Him and give Him the worries that assail you. Cast all of your anxieties on Him. All. Because He cares for you. Casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. And this is the great comfort. We can take all these cares to God because He cares for us. He will not leave us high and dry. He loves us and He has demonstrated His love for us by sending His Son into the world to save us. He has shown His love by instead of giving us what we deserve, He has given us grace and mercy. He has shown us kindness and He supplies our every need. God cares for us And so because God has always supplied our needs, why should we then take on the guilt and the... Sorry, not the guilt, the worry and concern about what He will do for us in the future? That's in His court. He has cared for us before. He cares for us now, and He will care for us into the future. And when we throw our anxiety on Him, I think that the... There is a few different ways in which our anxieties, that God kind of responds to our anxieties. One way that God responds is is by kind of showing us that it wasn't really an issue. Perhaps we were worried for something that we didn't need to be worried about. But perhaps this is something that God will supply. It is a need that he will fulfill in time. And so by throwing our anxieties on him, by coming to him with our problems that we face, with our concerns we come to him and we seek him to supply them and he does he does supply them but perhaps the lord has a trial for you to face and anxiety over it will not help it's as though god says trust me and face the trial ahead with my care and guidance but don't worry in the midst of it when we cast all our anxieties over we we shed the load We take a burden off ourselves because we were carrying the weight of the world on our shoulders. And Jesus gives this great encouragement. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, will give you a light burden. He will take that weight off your shoulders that you're carrying around with your anxieties and your worries. And he will give you a light load. Perhaps you think, all right, that was fine enough for those people back then. But you know, today, we've grown in our understanding about how the world works and how our brains work. And surely now, We can kind of put this wisdom to the side and we can put in its place our own discoveries, our own wisdom, our own understanding. But once again, that is pride. It is prideful to say, look, God, you are the one who made us and you have given us this way of of living. You've told us how to act, told us how to deal with this. But I've got a better idea. Do you think that God did not know what He was doing when He told us not to be anxious? Of course He knew. He knew us, He made us, and He knows that His believers will be listening to these words down through history, and that in every age, God's people are called to humble themselves under Him, to throw off their anxieties on Him. This is good for you. This is good for us as a body. He cares for us. And because he cares for us, he calls us to throw our anxieties on him. I hope that this uh, message has been rather clear about what we are to do. But just in case you had missed it, let me recap for you where we've been. We have been reminded that God opposes pride, and not just the pride out there in the world. He opposes pride in here, in our hearts, in our church. And we are called to humble ourselves, to come, to lower ourselves under God's hand, to make ourselves low. And God exalts those lowly, God exalts the humble. And one of the ways that we are made humble is by casting our anxieties on God. He cares for us. He hears us. He will supply our need. And so holding on to our anxieties is is prideful. And so at the end of the day, there is the question that should hang in the air when we face our anxieties. It's who will you trust? Will you trust God or yourself? And if you are having trouble trusting God, then perhaps you need to go and remind yourself of all the reasons why God is trustworthy and why you can turn yourself to Him. Look back across the pages of Scripture and see how He has delivered for His people time and time again, how He has fulfilled all of His promises, how He has come through every single time. He is faithful. He never lies. He never fails. But even in your own life, I'm sure that if you turned your eyes away from the problems that you are facing and you look at the many ways that God has supplied your need in the past, you can be reminded that you can trust Him. So trust Him. God invites you to hand over the burden, to give up struggling for control. Let Him give you a humble yoke that is easy. In light and he will exalt you our lord and heavenly father we thank you that you care for us and lord even now as we consider these words we pray that you would you, you would be transforming our hearts to turn them towards you so that we might be able to trust you to trust that your care for us is real that you will never fail us Lord, we thank you that there is this great promise that if we trust you, if we humble ourselves before you, that you will exalt us. But Lord, we pray that we would be equipped to, that we would be enabled to humble ourselves, that you would free us from the, the stony parts of our hearts that are holding on to control. Lord, soften them so that we might be able to freely come before you and humble ourselves before you. We thank you, Lord, for the example of Jesus Christ, our Savior who went to the cross in our place, who, who, who humbled himself in a way that is in such a greater magnitude than we will ever be able to do. We thank you for him and we, we pray that you would enable us to follow in his footsteps into that humility. Lord, please free us from these issues, the concerns, that are worri- the worries that have been controlling us, that have been like a yoke pulling us down, pulling us back. Free us so that we might, might walk in freedom, that we might walk in joy, that we might walk in peace we might be walk in the that wonderful exaltation that you have for your people we pray all of these things in jesus name amen